Welcome. This is Pastor Michael Petit from Calvary Chapel, Divine, Texas. We want to thank you for taking time to listen to our Sun, Salt, and Light broadcast. We want you to know and grow in the Son, S-O-N, Jesus Christ, and be the salt and the light. We'd like to thank you so much for taking time to listen to this broadcast. We simply teach the Bible verse by verse and chapter by chapter, and we believe that God changes a life one verse at a time. I'd like to personally invite you out to come and see the church. Uh, it is a very casual atmosphere, and uh, but we do take the Word of God very seriously. We meet in a non-traditional church building. We actually meet at the BFW 3966 in Divine, Texas. It's located at 211 West College Avenue, big white building right next to the post office. Our service times are on Sunday when we go through the New Testament uh, at 10 a.m. And then on Wednesday nights at 6.30 p.m. we go through the Old Testament. Uh, We have children's ministry available for both services. And if you need to get more information on the church, you can go to calvarydivine.org. If you have your Bible ready, today we'll be in the book of Acts, chapter 7, verses 54 through 60. The title of this sermon is, A Spiritual Ringing, with special guest, Pastor Jimmy Rosas. This is the first half of this two-part study. You know, just like when you wring a, a cloth, a dish cloth out or a towel, right? You wring it and you extract something from it. And it's beautiful to see in this passage of scripture what was extracted from Stephen during this spiritual wringing. Um, so I won't read the whole chapter, but we'll kind of dip into it here and there just to get some background for, for this portion of scripture. But before we do begin, I just wanted to share um, about how, like, in this life, we will encounter troubles, right? We know that, you know? Um, and I don't know if you know this, but it's a promise in God's Word, right? It's a promise from God, from Jesus, that we will encounter hardships. Now, like my senior pastor likes to say, that's not a promise we love to take and go hang on the fridge, right? Like, I don't think if I go to any of y'all's houses, I would find, oh, I'm promised trouble, and I ha- you have that on your wall or something. You know, I seriously doubt it. You probably have, you know, as for me and my house, we shall serve the Lord. You have that up there. You know, I can do all things through Christ. You probably have that up there. You know, the plans the Lord has for me are, are for good, right? You have maybe that up there. Um, maybe Romans 8.18, right? You have that up somewhere. <laughs> but I seriously doubt you have... Um, in this world, you will have tribulation. I don't think anyone does, right? But um, we tend to place all kinds of promises from God's word on the fridge, mirrors, cars, windows, books, get tattoos of them, hats, whatever, right? But this is one that I don't believe we do. But I want to um, just touch on it a little bit right now. I believe we tend to overlook the first part of that promise, right? And I'll read the verse here in a little bit. But the first part of that promise um, is the part where Jesus says, in me, you may have peace. In me, in Jesus, you may have peace, right? We concentrate usually on the third part of that scripture, right? And rightly so, that following the promise of tribulation, Jesus continues and says, but take heart, I have overcome the world. So I know we hold on to that part of the scripture. Oh, we love that part of the scripture, right? And John 16, 33 is the scripture I'm talking about. I have said these things to you, that in me you may have peace. 
In this world, you will have tribulation, but take heart, I have overcome the world. And so, that's a threefold promise in that one scripture right there from Jesus himself. He promises that if we abide in him, we can have peace. He promises that troubles will come our way. But again, if we abide in him, we will have the strength to overcome those trials, those tribulations, those hardships, right? And, and so it's a threefold promise, and it's beautiful. And the reason why I'm sharing that, that scripture is because I believe that this will help us understand. I believe this scripture will help us understand Stephen's peace and heart during this tribulation in his life. Um, without the peace of Jesus, without the example of Christ's heart, Christ's heart for the people on the cross, who knows how Stephen would have reacted? Who knows? So I simply want to ask a question that you can chew over in your mind as we continue in our study. Do we have the peace of Jesus? And do we have the heart of Christ as we go through our spiritual ringing? What is extracted when we are wrung? What is extracted? What comes out? And Stephen's a beautiful example of what it can be, right? He followed just like, um, he followed Christ, of course, but he, he emulated Christ so much that even in his death, even in that moment of spiritual ringing, he was Christ-like, right? Um, so I'll read this portion of scripture. You guys can stay sitting down because I'm going to bounce back and forth. <clears throat> but I'll read this portion of scripture and then we'll open up in prayer. Um, so Acts 7, 54 through 60, the word of God reads, Now when they heard these things, they were enraged. And they ground their teeth at him. But he, full of the Holy Spirit, gazed into heaven and saw the glory of God and Jesus standing at the right hand of God. And he said, Behold, I see the heavens opened and the Son of Man standing at the right hand of God. But they cried out with a loud voice and stopped their ears and rushed together at him. Then they cast him out of the city and stoned him. And the witnesses laid down their garments at the feet of a young man named Saul. And as they were stoning Stephen, he called out, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. And falling to his knees, he cried out with a loud voice, Lord, do not hold this sin against them. And when he had said this, he fell asleep. Let's pray. Father God, as we do continue to come before you, Lord, and just sit here at your feet, Lord, um, may the words that come out of my mouth be your words, Lord God. May they be what you want us to hear, Lord God, every single one of us, Lord God. May we have the heart that is open to receive your word. May we have the ears to hear your word and to understand it, to comprehend it, Lord God. And may we take your word, Lord God, and apply it practically to our lives and live it out, Lord God, um, every day of our lives, Lord God. May we always remember that, Father God, someone's always watching. Someone's always paying attention, Father God, to us and to our actions, Lord. And if we go by the name of Christ, which literally means little Christ, if we go by the name of Christian, Father, we should emulate Christ, Lord God, in everything that we do. So, Father, guide us and lead us. Be with us, Lord God, the rest of this time, the rest of this service. We love you. We thank you, Father, and we ask all this in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, so I know our portion of Scripture here begins with, now when they heard these things, they were enraged. And the, the day here is the Sanhedrin, okay? 
They, um, starting back in chapter 6, as we go over briefly, I promise I won't read the whole verse, the whole chapter, um, but starting at the, the latter part of chapter 6, um, around verse 8 through verse 15, Stephen is seized. He's taken into custody. And, and, and why was he? Well, Verse 8 says, And Stephen, full of grace and power, was doing great wonders and signs among the people. I mean, that's why he was taken in. That's crazy, right? That's how misled these Sanhedrin were. That's how misled these Pharisees were. Um, That when they saw God actually moving through someone, they couldn't stand it. They couldn't stand it. And so they seized him. Um, They were trying to get him to slip up, right? They were questioning him and stuff like that. And he, he, he was filled with the Holy Spirit. He was led, because verse 10 says, but they could not withstand the wisdom and the spirit with which he was speaking. Every time they tried to come at him and trip him up, it was the Holy Spirit speaking through him. And everything, every question, everything that they had, he had an answer for. He had an answer for. And it was a godly answer. <laughs> let, me, let me make that a point there. It was a godly answer. It wasn't his answer. It wasn't his wrathful answer or anything like that. It was a godly answer. And then verse 11 says, Then they secretly instigated men who said, We have heard him speak blasphemous words against Moses and God. So here comes some false accusations, right? Because this is the only way they could get Stephen out of the way. This is the only way they could get any dirt on him, so-called, right? This is the only way they could do it. And it continues to say um, <clears throat> that as he was brought before the, the council, right, verse 15 says, And gazing at him, all who sat in the council saw that his face was like the face of an angel. He was just radiating holiness. He was just radiating Christ through his life, in his speech, in his attitude, in his words. Everything that he was doing, he was Christ-like. And it's so awesome to read that. And then we continue uh, in chapter 7, it says, in the, beginning, uh, in the beginning of chapter 7, Stephen addressed the Sanhedrin. In chapter 6, he was seized and questioned and accused of blasphemy. And the Sanhedrin, just a little background here, was, was like a supreme court of sorts of the Israelites in Jerusalem. Every city could have a Sanhedrin or ruling body according to the size of that city. They, you know, they could be five, seven members. They could be, you know, 70, 120 members. But it was according to the size of the city. So every city could have a Sanhedrin. But the one in Jerusalem was the final court of appeals for matters regarding Jewish law and religion. So Stephen's defense is the longest authoritative speech over this topic of Hebrew law and history in the book of Acts. Um, it is beautifully spoken. It is a beautifully spoken listing of Old Testament history that seamlessly connects many main elements, facts, and names, such as um, Abraham in chapter 7, verses 2 through 8. Here's the point. The people come at him, the Sanhedrin come at him, and they're accusing him of blasphemy, that he's speaking ill of Moses and the fathers, right? And Stephen's like, okay. And again, it's not his answer It's the Lord speaking through him. And the Lord speaking through him points out all their faults and all their beliefs going way back. And he's saying, you're saying that Stephen is speaking ill of me and my representatives, but in fact, it's you and your forefathers who have done this 
all throughout history. And then he begins. And he begins with Moses. Uh, I'm sorry, he begins with Abraham in verses 2 through 8. He, he continues with Joseph in verses 9 through 16, how Joseph was sold, right, by his brothers and everything else. And God was still there to, to take care of Joseph, right? We know the stories. And then he continues with Moses, um, verses 17 through 34. Moses was God's uh, representative, right? He went up Mount Sinai to, to come down with the Ten Commandments. He was gone for 40 days. It was too long for the people. So what did they say? Make us a God, right? So Stephen is pointing out, hey, what you're accusing me of, you're actually doing. You've actually done it. Your forefathers have actually done it. This, what you're accusing me of, right? And again, it was God-led. It was a God-led answer through Stephen. And then it continues into Israel's apostasy, verses 35 through 50. And then it was cut short when Stephen applied his history lesson to these people, to the Sanhedrin, to the present-day Sanhedrin of his time. When Stephen applied his history lesson to Israel's present rejection of the Messiah, which is verses 51 through 53, then they snapped. Like, well, wait a minute. He's talking about us, right, so to speak. Like, then they, what happened? And because of 51 through 53, um, verses 51 through 53, where it says, You stiff-necked people, uncircumcised in heart and ears, you always resist the Holy Spirit. As your fathers did, so do you. Which of the prophets did your fathers not persecute? And they killed those who announced beforehand the coming of the righteous one, whom you have now betrayed and murdered. You have received the law as delivered by angels and did not keep it. So again, God speaking through Stephen is, is accusing them of the very things that they are accusing Stephen of. And so we get into uh, verse 54 here with that, right? Now that we have a little background as to who these people are when verse 54 begins, now when they heard these things, when the Sanhedrin heard verses, all these verses, but especially verses 51 through 53, they were what? The Word of God says, They were enraged, and they ground their teeth at him. So this brings us to our first point, the people's wrath. So when they heard these things, they were enraged. The Greek word for heard that is used here in the text is akuo, akuo, which means to consider what is or has been said, to perceive the sense of what is said, to comprehend, to understand. They understood what was being explained to them. They did. They totally understood the word of God. They totally understood it. They chose, though. They chose. They understood what was being said and explained, but they chose not to live it. They chose not to apply it. And so the sad but true fact is that many hear the word of God. They comprehend it, but consciously choose to ignore it or disobey it. I know before coming to Christ, I heard it so many times, and it made sense. Like, right? But I consciously chose not to accept Christ. I chose, nope. And, and unfortunately, that goes on and on and on in our lifetimes so many times, in, our, in, in this world so many times. So they consciously chose to ignore it or disobey it. 
at the midpoint of verse uh, 54, the Sanhedrin have a choice to make. Either let go of their pride, admit they are in the wrong, let go of their power, powerful position over the people, and repent of their evil ways, or claim Stephen to be wrong and a blasphemer and kill him. Well, to them, it was a lot easier to claim him as a blasphemer and try to kill him and kill him. They didn't want to let go of all that. They didn't want to let go of this powerful position they had over the people, this place of entitlement, this title that they had, that they lorded over the people. They didn't want to let that go. So to them, it was a lot easier to accuse Stephen that he was wrong, that he was a blasphemer, blasphemer and then kill him. So there were two choices to be made. One was wrath, as in Acts 5.33. When they heard this, they were enraged and wanted to kill him. And that portion of scripture right there is speaking about um, the people when the apostles were brought before the council. So all the, a bunch of the apostles were brought before the council, and the council told them what? Stop speaking in the name of Jesus, right? And they were mad, and, 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 and it says right there in verse 33 of chapter 5, when they heard this, they were enraged and wanted to kill them. They wanted to kill the apostles. So that was one choice that the Sanhedrin could have done with Stephen. The other choice could have been to repent, as in Acts 2.37. And the word there reads, Now when they heard this, they were cut to the heart and said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, Brothers, what shall we do? And this was spoken of by the crowd, by the multitude, when Peter and the apostles preached to the masses. See, so the Sanhedrin had two directions they could have gone. They could have, you know, two choices to make. Um, wrath or Repentance. And we know by reading the second part of verse 54 that they chose the path of wrath, right? We, we know that. They ground their teeth at him. They literally grated their teeth in rage at Stephen. I don't know. I'm pretty sure none of y'all have ever been that angry where you have your teeth just clenched, maybe at your children, at your spouse, and maybe you're driving and someone honks and cuts you off and you're like, and you know, you have your teeth clenched. But that's how they were. They had their teeth clenched. I can imagine, like, they're just, you know, hands, fingers clenched in a, in a fist, just mad, just angry, uncontrollably angry at Stephen. And so they literally grated their teeth in rage at Stephen. Um, Psalm 37, 12 says, The wicked plots against the righteous and gnashes his teeth at him. So I wanted to share these two scriptures in Acts, uh, Acts chapter 5, verse 33 and Acts 2, verse 37, to emphasize the importance of the Holy Spirit, okay? Notice in Acts chapter 2, the Spirit led the people to repentance. The Holy Spirit led the people to repentance. In Acts chapter 5, the Spirit spoke through the apostles. The Holy Spirit spoke through the apostles as he did here in Acts chapter 7, speaking through Stephen. So we need to rely on the Spirit's guidance and move on His prompting, especially through our spiritual ringing. And thus we can have grace towards the people that persecute us, that wrong us, that bother us, that annoy us, that don't see eye to eye with us. And with that, we head into our second point, grace towards the people. One definition of grace is getting something we don't deserve. Right? That we know that definition. Getting something that we don't deserve. That's grace. But listen to these other definitions 
And try to keep them in your mind as we read over those verses again. The other definitions that I came across was um, grace is also defined as simple elegance, courteous goodwill. Right? Courteous goodwill. So keep those in mind as we read 55 and 56. But he, being Stephen, but he, full of the Holy Spirit, gazed into heaven and saw the glory of God and Jesus standing at the right hand of God. And he said, Behold, I see the heavens opened and the Son of Man standing at the right hand of God. Man, Stephen had every right to be angry at these people. By this time, they were pushing them. They were dragging them out of the, out of the court, out into the outskirts of the city. And they're pushing them, yelling. You know, they're angry at him. I can only imagine the insults being thrown at him and said to him. And instead of just like, oh, yeah, you know, or whatever, however we would take that, right? Stephen's just like, man, I see the heavens opened. I see Jesus. I see, and he's just proclaiming the goodness of God through this. It's just amazing to me. So Stephen most certainly exhibited this towards the people, the simple elegance, the courteous goodwill. Stephen most certainly exhibited these uh, towards the people, especially after being shown wrath. How could Stephen do this? The beginning of verse 55 tells us, but he, full of the Holy Spirit, full of the Holy Spirit. That's the key words right there, right? Full of the Holy Spirit. Stephen was consistently full of the Holy Spirit, wasn't he? We can read in Scripture, Acts uh, chapter 6, verse 5, and when they... And what they said pleased the whole gathering, and they chose Stephen, a man full of faith and of the Holy Spirit. That's when they were picking people to to replace, right? To help, um, not replace, but to help serve, I believe, the widows. To serve tables, pretty much, really, is what it was. And they picked Stephen. And the description of why they picked Stephen, full of faith and of the Holy Spirit. How beautiful. How awesome that is. Hopefully, I know not at all times, but hopefully the majority of times people can, you know, describe me in that manner. You know, I would hope so. Um, but what an awesome description for someone full of faith and full of the Holy Spirit. Right. So what are we consistently filling ourselves with? How do we respond to adversity? I know I don't respond very well to it. Um, not happy or proud or anything to share this. But a few weeks back, I actually walked out my workplace like I was so angry with and I'm not trying to justify it I was just so angry with certain situations there I was like man but what was I I wasn't full of the Holy Spirit that day I can assure you of that I was full of myself I was full of pride I was full of anger I was you know I just justified my actions so what are we showing during our time what are we showing when when we go through that spiritual ringing What is coming out? How do we respond to adversity? When things don't go as planned, how are we responding? How are we responding? Come on, we know Stephen didn't plan this, right? I'm going to go share about our forefathers to the Sanhedrin, and they're going to repent, you know, maybe, right? Maybe that's what he was thinking or whatever. But he, he didn't think this at all. This wasn't his plan to be led out of the city to get stoned to death. There's no way he planned for this. So when things don't go as planned, how do we react? How do we, what comes out? What is extracted? 
during those times. The second half of verse 55 and, and, and uh, verse 56 is, uh, is not anything I want to speculate about. I just want to put that out there, especially since we don't have any scripture to back up any speculations that I came across as I studied this. <coughs> Excuse me. As to why Stephen saw Jesus standing and not in his usual position of sitting at the right hand of the Father, right? We know that from different verses in the Bible, one of them being Mark 16, 19. So then the Lord Jesus, after he had spoken to them, was taken up into heaven and sat down at the right hand of God. <coughs> Excuse me. So we know that's his proper place, right? To be sitting at the right hand of the Father. But Stephen, when he looked up and the heavens were open to him, he saw Jesus standing. Now, again, these are speculations. I'll share them with you. Um, please just don't take them as doctrine because we don't have anything to, to back this up with concrete evidence, right, of why this is being done. Um, so one of them is <clears throat> that Jesus was standing ready to receive Stephen as the first martyr. Could be, right? It could be. It could be that. Um, another one is that faith moves the Lord. Hence, that's why Jesus was standing. Right? That, that could be true, too. Um, uh, another one is that Jesus was standing in unity with Stephen. And, you know, that could be true, too. <laughs> we don't know, right? We can only speculate, right? And lastly uh, is Jesus is acknowledging Stephen before the Father, perhaps, Right? And again, don't take these as doctrine, but I'm just, you know, Matthew 10.32 does say, So everyone who acknowledges me before men, I also will acknowledge before my Father who is in heaven. So maybe it was something along those lines. We don't honestly know, right? When we get to heaven, we can ask Jesus, you know, till we're blue in the face, right? Why did that happen? Why did, you know, I, I, I think I'll ask a lot of questions when I get up there. Maybe. I, maybe I won't. <laughs> Who knows, right? We don't know how it's going to be. I think it's going to be so great and grand that we're going to totally forget, you know, like whatever. <laughs> I mean, that's what Romans 8.18 says, right? So um, anyway, let's get back to our teaching here. So we can only speculate as to why he saw him standing, but any of those four reasons is beautiful in itself. Maybe it's all of them. Who knows, right? But um, as the verse continues in verse 56, um, he says... Behold, I see the heavens opened and the Son of Man standing at the right hand of God. Son of Man, of course, was um, referring to Jesus Christ, right? <clears throat> in the Old Testament, when Son of, fill in the blank, right? Son of this person or Son of this, when that was used, uh, that person was a representative of that family or that people. And so now... In the New Testament, as Jesus took this title upon himself, he is essentially saying, I am mankind's representative, son of man. I'm mankind's representative. And praise God for that, because what a wonderful representative we have, amen? What a perfect and holy representative. I know here on this earth, we vote for people to go represent us, you know, you know, in, in in courtroom, in, in, in Congress, and all this other stuff, and it's like, oh man, this dude, you know, or whatever. But praise God that mankind's representative is a spotless, holy, and blameless um, Messiah, amen? The Son of Man. That's so, that's so beautiful. 
And so that's who is being referred to here. In case you didn't know, it is Jesus Christ. Um, and then just once again, coming after those speculations, we don't know why he stood, right? But they're beautiful in themselves to, to just think in that manner, like, could be. So what kind of attitude would we have shown the Sanhedrin and the mob? You know, what? I don't know what I would have done, honestly. Hopefully I could have walked like Stephen did, but I don't know what I would have done, right? And what grace, if any, do we show those that come against us nowadays? Do we show any grace? I would like to thank you for taking time to listen to our broadcast. This is uh, Pastor Michael Petit from Calvary Chapel, Divine, Texas. If you're someone like me who is, uh, listens to a lot of podcasts, you can also listen to us on Spotify, TuneIn Radio, Audible, iHeartRadio, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, and SoundCloud. Pretty much wherever you can find a podcast, just type in Calvary Chapel uh, Divine and you'll, you'll be able to track us down. And lastly, I just wanted to invite you out to church. Uh, we are a casual church that meets in a non-traditional building, uh, meaning that we meet at the VFW 3966 on West College Avenue, big white building right next to the the post office. Uh, If you want to get more information about our church, if you need to ask uh, some questions or you even need prayer, just go to calvarydivine.org. And uh, we want to thank you again just for listening to this broadcast of Calvary Chapel Divine Texas, Sun, Salt, and Light Radio. God bless you. Have a good one.